Good morning, welcome to Reflections. I'm uh, Zachariah, I've got Derek over here, and today is Tuesday, August 11th, 2020, and we are continuing our reflection in Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. Today we're running through Chapter 4, and we've got a pretty good reflection lined up. We're looking forward to that. Before that, we have a scripture reading and a little bit of context reading from the from the book, and uh, then Derek will summarize and we'll have a discussion. Oh, also... As, as a quick announcement, interrupting you, uh, Zachariah, you're moving soon, so we're going to cut the podcast short because of all that comes with moving back to California. Um, we're going to read chapter six on Friday and then chapter nine next Tuesday and then chapter uh, 11 on uh, the 21st next Friday. So that means we're going to try to finish the book by the uh, 21st and that'll be the end of the podcast. Um, so yeah, if you guys wanted to read everything else, please feel free. Please do it. Um, it's all really good information, but we're going to be focusing our discussions on those chapters. So Zachariah, could you go ahead with the scripture reading? All right, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In an excerpt from The Color of Compromise, Harriet Jacobs, in her autobiography, Incidents of a Life of a Slave Girl, writes to her white female readers, imploring, But, O oh, ye happy women, whose purity has been sheltered from childhood, who have been free to choose the objects of your affection, whose homes are protected by law, do not judge the poor, desolate slave girl too severely. Our discussion will be on chapter 4, but let me first give a really quick summary of chapter 3. In chapter 3, Tisby makes clear the bitter contradictions between racism, patriotism, between an exodus and enslavement. These contradictions characterized the ethos of a nation who had freed herself from her oppressor on the Christian principle of liberty, yet she lacked the Christian practice of liberty within her own walls. Chapter 4, titled Institutionalizing Race in the Antebellum Era, first builds on Chapter 3 by providing us with specific examples of how principles of racism and bondage could indeed be expressed in a constitution that begins with the blessing of liberty. Among examples is one that undergirds both church and state. The chattel principle. The chattel principle, Tisby writes on page 58, is the social alchemy that transformed a human being made in the image of God into a piece of property. Laws and practices of those in this era before the Civil War reinforce the evil that black people, because of their blackness, are not to be valued primarily on account of their humanity, 
but primarily on account of their ability to produce and reproduce. This leads to a consistent and unending dehumanization and torture of black people by their slave masters, and eventually, revolts spring up across the world. Yet, ironically, though these revolts were spurred by the liberative gospel of Jesus Christ, the same gospel is misused to suppress, tie down, execute, and deport those who fought for their own freedom in the land that God had given them. Zechariah, could you go ahead with your reflection today? Yeah, for sure. The uh, One of the things that really struck me in today's reading was um, when Tisby writes on page 67 of chapter uh, 4, he talks about the American colonization society. Uh, something that he writes was, organizations like the ACS believe that exporting black Americans back to Africa would civilize a dark and barbaric continent through gradual cultural changes and Christian evangelism. As a pleasant byproduct of relocating black Africans to Africa, white Americans would also rid themselves of the endlessly troublesome racial issue. Notably absent from this proposed solution was an acknowledgement of the high mortality rates of the people who moved to Africa, nor did the prospect of making room for black people in America gain serious hearing. Many misguided Christians viewed the work of the American Colonization Society as an act of benevolence, a way of, quote, helping free black people find a better life. The reason that this stuck out to me in this reading was because... I could look back at my own heritage and see that being a student of Presbyterian, sorry, of the Princeton Theological Seminary, the professor, Robert Finney, was a professor at the seminary who suggested the American Colonization Society. It is deeply in the heritage of our seminary that that is part of our history, just moving black people away instead of accepting them. And that was part of the slavery audit that... uh, Uh, PTS went through um, is partly still going through Um, but for me it was just a moment of realization of like I can point to something that I can directly connect to as a person and seeing the complicity of the American church in slavery instead of being a voice at the time of abolition or fully accepting of black Americans into life as free citizens, the seminary decided to lend their efforts to move them back out of mind, out of sight, and make them not our problem anymore. Instead of being the witness of Jesus Christ and giving them a place at the table. So that's kind of what I was thinking when I was reading through that section is we can still Today, even uh, Princeton is still looking at how we can amend for those mistakes that we as a seminary committed. Yeah, I I also really related to this idea of colonization that's driven by um, this fervor for spiritual change. Um, Converting people to Christianity almost took, it, it took precedence over any social issues Um, It took precedence over changing the institutions 
um, of slavery, keeping slavery intact so that we could convert black people. I mean, this is really a big part of my, my own personal tradition of being an evangelical. Um, growing up in the, the evangelical tradition, the highest priority is placed on spiritual conversion. We really need to bring the gospel to the nations. People need to accept these beliefs and they need to believe what we believe. And so reading that section where he talks about how this same principle of evangelization almost cemented, it cemented the terrible colonization of black people and this almost ferocious paternalism. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to read and it's hard to hear. And this is something I've actually struggled with theologically for a while. What, what's more important, social change or spiritual change? Do I focus my efforts on dismantling structural evils and sins? Or is it more important to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ, tell people about the gospel? And I think this is something that a lot of us struggle with who are in between more conservative Christianity, which kind of focuses a lot more on the spiritual side of things, and liberal Christianity, which focuses a lot on the structural side. One thing I've come to realize is that both of these things are connected. We can't have one without the other, which is an unfortunate mistake that we clearly see people making in our history. And someone who actually brought the two together for me really well, Howard Thurman, his name again. His book, Jesus and the Disinherited, it's the, for me, it's, it answered all my questions on this issue. What's more important? spiritual change or social change. Actually, both of, both of them are intim intimately interconnected. And we see that in our own history too, right? One of the reasons why slavery existed is because white theological leaders and white slave owners had the wrong idea of what the image of God entailed. It's a spiritual thing, right? They thought they could, they could, have this theology of the image of God, yet still see black people as three-fifths of a human, right? That's a theologically wrong thing. And that theologically wrong thing had an impact on social systems, on social structures. And Thurman in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, does such a good job of showing how social change and structural change will best come with solid theological change, with a solid understanding of what this image of God means. Zechariah, do you have anything to add? If not, you can uh, pray us out. Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll pray us out. That was really good. Our Lord, give us the strength to stand apart from complicity. Allow us to recognize the places in our past that have not reflected your love as we recognize and repent of the sins of our past. Give us the wisdom to change our present and future. Allow us to spread your word with love and kindness. Keep us from participating in evil and hateful institutions in this world. Instead, let us change our world into one that reflects your goodness and love. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make 
his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Blessings and have a good week.